Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. We appreciate so much you being willing to listen to Bible Crossfire every week at this same time. Um, Of course, in this program, we encourage you to call in and ask Bible questions. uh, State your position on what the Bible teaches. Of course, we all agree, I hope, that the Bible is right since it's God's Word. And it's the standard of authority, not what we think, not what we want. And along those veins, that's why we've been talking about the last couple of weeks about how important it is that we use the Bible as our guidebook. Christians and congregations alike should use the Bible as our guidebook. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So all scripture is given by inspiration of God. We're not talking about inspiration in the sense of a a football team playing fired up. We're talking about inspiration in the sense that 1 Corinthians 2.13 tells us that is that God reveals the words miraculously to the Old Testament and New Testament prophets. They wrote it down so that when we read it, we can understand it. Ephesians 3, 3-4. The Bible ought to be used as our guidebook in religion. But we've seen that many churches and preachers and Christians are not using the Bible as their guidebook. They may have used to, at least to some extent, but not anymore. We quoted a week or two from the Birmingham, a week or two ago from the Birmingham News, August 6, 2003, where the first gay bishop of the Episcopal Church said this to try to justify, uh, homosexuals being ordained uh, as bishops. He says, we have many times departed from Scripture. This is the, quote, Reverend Gene Robinson. He cited the examples of ordaining women priests and accepting divorce in the church as departures. Quote, just simply saying it departs from Scripture does not necessarily make it wrong. Now, this is supposedly a preacher in the Episcopal Church And he says, just because it departs from Scripture, that doesn't necessarily make it wrong. He is admitting that the Episcopal Church does not use the Bible as its guidebook. If if they were using the Bible as their guidebook, then they would recognize the fact that if something departs from Scripture, that is exactly what makes it wrong and the only thing that makes it wrong. His argument is like, two wrongs make a right. Look, we've been... departing from Scripture when it comes to ordaining women priests and accepting divorce. So why can't we depart from Scripture when we ordain gay priests, gay bishops? Departing from Scripture does not necessarily make it wrong. That's what he said. It's an admission that they do not follow the Bible as our guidebook. So don't say, look, all of these differences are just matters of interpretation. No, it's not a matter of interpretation differences of interpretation of why different preachers in different churches teach different things. It's a matter of accepting the authority of God's Word. God is our authority, and by extension then, His Word is our authority. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy Word is truth. So God's Word defines for us what the truth is. And John eight thirty two says, The truth will make us free. Make us free from sin. False religious teaching won't make us free from sin. We better follow God's Word, and most churches don't follow God's Word anymore. They don't use the Bible as their guidebook. It's what they want to do, what they think is best.
could be wishful thinking. They succumb to the pressures of political correctness. They're not using the Bible as their guidebook. If you have a Bible question, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755 if you have a Bible question or comment. Last week we talked about the how the Bible severely condemns homosexuality, Old Testament and New, and showed then that these churches in recent years that have been accepting gay marriage and gay preachers are not using their Bible as as the guidebook. But let's talk about a couple of the other things that the gay priest, supposedly the gay bishop, mentioned. He mentioned the idea of women preachers. Well, they, they, he said they've been ordaining women priests for years, and that's a departure from Scripture. So he says it must not be wrong to depart from Scripture. Let's talk about what the Bible says about women preachers. But let's take this call first. James from Virginia, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi, Patrick. Um, I have a question about uh, Hebrews one fourteen. Um, it talks about angels being ministering spirits. And right. Why, why do you think God chooses to use angels? Like specifically, God could do anything He wanted to without the use of an angel. He could just through the power of His Spirit. He could He could minister to people. He could He could control the world, either the physical or the non-physical aspects of the world, just through the power of His Holy Spirit. So why, why would he choose to use angels uh, as ministering spirits to help us when it seems to almost be superfluous, you know, from, from his basic power? You know, I don't know the answer to that question for sure since the Bible doesn't seem to say. But, you know, but you know when have you ever noticed in the Bible that when, for example, Cornelius was a true seeker of God, Acts 10, but he didn't know the truth, he hadn't become a Christian, and so God used a man, to, to Peter. He sent Peter there to preach to him the truth. So God uses servants to accomplish his will. And so maybe he wants his servants, whether man or angel, to be able to serve him. And if he does everything himself, then he gives no opportunity for those who might want to serve him, like us, to do his will if he did everything himself. You follow what I'm saying? That that's well, sort of like just a theory. I'm not real sure about that. Sure. But it, well, it's reasonable speculation. Yeah, he does definitely use these angels to minister unto us, and how he does that, and all the details about it, we we just don't know. But God does use it. It's a good question, James. Though, well, appreciate well, it. Well, thank you, Patrick. Enjoy your show. You have a you have a good week, and be sure and try to listen every week if you can. Okay. Thank you. Hey, Bob. Jim from Connecticut, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi, this is um, Jim. I'm just uh, first time calling. Thank you for taking my call. I was I read um, I think it was in a book of Acts. I'm not sure of the scripture. I don't have a Bible with me now, but I was well, the question I have is um, in terms of um, being born again and somebody who is born again, if they can lose their salvation. You know, there are, I think, a lot of passages in the Bible, practically on every page, that teaches a person who's a Christian, born again, can lose their salvation. 
Let me ask you, let you consider one to start with and see what you think. Jim, I'm looking at Hebrews 3.1. I'm going to try to read this to you since you don't have your Bible with you. But Hebrews 3.1, the writer says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Does that sound like he's talking to Christians or non-Christians, Jim? It um, sounds like he's talking to Christians. Yeah, he calls them brethren, and he says they're holy brethren, as if they've been sanctified, they've been cleansed. And then he says, partakers of the heavenly calling. Only a Christian has partaken of the heavenly calling. Then, skip down to verse 12. He's talking to these same brethren. He says, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. So he's warning these Christians against changing over these believers against changing back to unbelief and departing from God. And I have a friend here. I live in the Huntsville, Alabama area. He has this illustration I think is kind of funny. Makes a good point. You don't see any road signs in North Alabama that say, Beware of sharks. And you know why, Jim? Because there isn't any. (laughs) Yeah, there's no ocean here. Now, if you traveled about six hours south to Mobile, you might see a sign like that near the beach. But we don't have any ocean nearby. So they don't waste their time putting up signs that say, beware of sharks. Now, do you think God would waste his time warning these brethren from developing the evil heart of unbelief and departing from God if that was not possible? No. No, I wouldn't. No. It doesn't make any sense. And if we turn to it, so it's possible for a Christian, a believer, to change back over to an unbeliever. Now, Jim, I'm going to read to you John 3.36, and I want you to tell me their spiritual state if they change and become an unbeliever. John 3.36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So, which of those two phrases, the, the, the one that talks about the believer having everlasting life, or the one that talks about the, the unbeliever not having life, which one would apply to the brother who has changed back to unbelief? You think, Jim? Well, the one who um, say that again. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't catch that. I, if here I'm you have a believer, I'm sorry. You have a believer, and in Hebrews three twelve, the possibility is that he becomes an unbeliever and departs from God. Right. So, so which of the two phrases in John three thirty six would apply to him? The one that says the believer is saved, or the one that says the unbeliever will be lost? Which one would apply to him now that he's an unbeliever? Well, the one that's he's lost, that would apply to him. The unbeliever that's lost. Do you see how then that shows then that it's possible for a Christian, a born-again Christian, to lose his salvation? Let me read to you, Jim. John chapter 3, verse 5. And this is, in my Bible, it's in red letters, so... It's a quote from Jesus. He says, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So, Jim, the book of life is mentioned six or eight, maybe ten times in the Bible. You know what that refers to? The book of life? Who's going? Yeah, it's the Lamb's Book of Life, isn't it? They also refer it to as that. Yeah, the names yep. of those that are going to go to heaven. Yeah, it's like God's book, the names of all the saved people, right? 
Right, exactly. And this verse says, if you overcome, I will not blot your name out. I take it it's talking about overcoming temptation, persecution, or both. That would imply, though, Jim, that if you don't overcome, what will Jesus do? The name comes out of the book. I mean, you're going to be cast. I don't know where you're going to go, but it doesn't sound like you're going to go to heaven, that's for sure. Yeah. So if your name's in the book of life, You'd have to be saved first to get your name in that book, right? Okay, yep. And then this verse implies that if you don't overcome temptation, your name will be blotted out. That means you're not in the list of saved anymore, correct? Correct. So obviously that shows that a person could lose his salvation if he's not living faithfully to God, right? Right. I'm glad Jim, you're we walking me through I'm glad you're walking me. This seems to be a, a controversial uh, question. There's I, I, a lot of people believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. And I'm glad you walked it through me. Thank you. Jim, I think this is more... The, the Bible doesn't come anywhere close to teaching once saved, always saved. But I think a lot of people believe it. You, you, meant, you know the expression we use a lot? We, we call it wishful thinking. Right. I think it's wishful thinking. Not that the Bible teaches once saved, always saved, but it's wishful thinking because people want to believe, now that I've become a Christian, I can just live any old way I want to and I'm going to be saved anyway. Right, by you grace, see, you, right? You see, yeah. that's wishful thinking, isn't it? Exactly. Jim, let me, read, read, let me read you another passage and see what you think. This is in James five nineteen and 20. Remember in Hebrews 3, we were talking about brethren, right? Partakers of heavenly yep. calling. James 5.19 says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Now, I wish you had the Bible in front of you, but you're just going to have to listen. Here it's talking to brethren, and it, it entertains the possibility that one errs from the truth, and it tells us, that it's our responsibility to try to convert them back. You follow what I'm saying? Yes. And it says if we do convert them back to the truth, that we save their soul from death. But now that would imply that if we're unsuccessful, say they refuse to be converted back, their soul is going to what? Perish. They're not... Yeah, they're... Their soul's going to die. We're not talking about physical death here. We're talking about we're going to save their soul from death. So if we're if we're unsuccessful in converting them back to the truth, these brethren who have erred from the truth, their soul's going to die. They're going to be lost. Right, right. You see, you see why that proves once saved, always saved is false. Yes. I, I you know, I'm, I'm glad you, um, you know, I, I, I felt that I didn't know about those scriptures. There was another one that I was. I don't. I thought it was in the Book of Acts, but maybe it wasn't. I wish I had my Bible. It was talked about. Um, maybe <clears throat> it said, "For those who um, have witnessed God's glory, and, and you know, we're talking about the fruits of the Spirit, like, and it says, and then turn away." Um, you know, <clears throat> I was going over that with somebody from the church, and it, it seems to be a. It seems to be an argument. Um, you know, a, a difference in opinion on on that, and I'm glad you cleared it up. Thank you. Hey, Jim, let me yep. uh, ask you a question. Um, I don't, um, 
would you want me to call you later and we can talk about this further so I can move on to other calls? Yes. I mean, no, no, you don't have to. You you summed it up, and I appreciate you taking my call. Well, I, I tell you what Thank you, you do. Why don't you send me an email at BibleCrossfire at email.com, and we can talk about it over email. BibleCrossfire at email.com, okay? Okay. Sounds good. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. Thank you. God bless. Thank you. If anybody wants to send me an email and talk about the Bible via email, my email address is BibleCrossfire at email.com. Or you could just go to my website, if it's easier to remember, the website, BibleCrossfire.com, and there you'll find some links where you can ask for a, uh, a home Bible study or talk to me, ask me a question, talk to me about the Bible. I'm, I'm interested in doing that throughout the week. You can send me an email or go to my website, our website, BibleCrossfire.com, and, and do that. But in the meantime, if you want to go on the air right now with your Bible question or comment, the number to call is 877 877- Six five five six seven five five eight seven seven six five five six seven five five. So we were talking about the quote from the gay bishop and how he said, "Well, just because it departs from Scripture, that doesn't make it wrong." And he says, "We've been allowing women preachers, and uh, it's a departure from Scripture." Boy, was he right! Here's what the Bible says about women preachers: First Corinthians fourteen thirty four and thirty five says, "Let your women keep silence in the churches." For it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Now, when we say this controversial issue that women should not be preachers, we're not saying a a lady cannot teach a lady's Bible class at her house. We're not saying that at all, okay? What we're talking about is what everybody else is talking about. Can a woman preach the sermon in, in the church assembly? And this passage is crystal clear. It says three times, basically, that she cannot. It says, let your women keep silence in the churches. Number two, it says, it's not permitted unto them to speak. And number three, it's a shame for women to speak in the church. Now, there may be some more difficult passages in the Bible, meaning more difficult to understand, but this ain't one of them. This is unambiguous, very clear. Paul says three times this is wrong, and yet my guess is About 75% of congregations across the USA allow women to preach from their pulpit. What's the problem? Are these churches, these congregations, still using the Bible as their guidebook? I think it's easy to see that the Episcopal Church is not using the Bible as its guidebook because it says, their representative says, just because it departs from Scripture, that doesn't necessarily make it wrong. That's an admission that they're not using the Bible, the Scriptures, as their guidebook. But what about if you're worshiping with a congregation that allows women to preach from the pulpit, and knowing there are passages in the Bible like this, and this isn't, isn't the only one that condemns women preachers, is the congregation you worship with using the Bible as their guidebook if they're allowing women to preach from the pulpit? It certainly doesn't sound like it does. And then the other topic that the gay bishop mentioned is divorce and remarriage. And Jesus said, again, this is pretty clear. Matthew 19, 9, he said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. 
Now, a long time ago, the Methodist church used to stand for the truth on divorce and remarriage. But let me illustrate how they've changed. If you go to the Methodist Creed book in 1896, by the way, the number to call is 877-655-6755. In 1896, the Methodist Creed book said, No divorce except for adultery shall be regarded by the church as lawful, and no minister shall solemnize, meaning perform this ceremony, solemnize marriage in any case where there is a divorced wife or husband living, but this rule shall not be applied to the innocent party to a divorce for the cause of adultery. You know, that sounds exactly like Matthew 19.9 to me. In 1896, the Methodist Creed book, stating their policy, they stated it in different words, but exactly like what Jesus stated in Matthew 19.9. That if a man divorces his wife for any reason other than fornication and remarriage, remarries, that second marriage is adulterous. But skip down to the Methodist Creed book in 1984. They say in 1984 where marriage partners, even after thoughtful consideration and counsel, are estranged beyond reconciliation, we recognize divorce as regrettable, but recognize the right of divorced persons to remarry. We encourage an accepting commitment of the church to minister to the members of divorced family. That's totally different than what they said in 1896. And more importantly, it's totally different than what Jesus said in Matthew 19.9. In 1896, they said exactly what Matthew 19.9 says. No divorce except for adultery shall be regarded by the church as lawful. But in 1984, they said we, we think divorce is regrettable, but recognize the right of divorced persons to remarry. Now, let me ask you this question. Based upon these quotes, is the Methodist church still using the Bible as their guidebook? Well, they're not on this issue, are they? And many other churches have compromised on divorce and remarriage in the very same way. A lot of churches will allow divorce and remarriage and say nothing about it, even though the Scriptures teach that those second or third marriages are adulterous marriages, which means if a person wants to be saved, wants to be a faithful Christian, he's going to have to repent, quit that adultery, get out of that marriage. But these churches just go along with it. They're not using the Bible as their guidebook anymore. Sam from Alabama. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Um, as I was saying, uh, my comment was on um, the previous comment when the gentleman was asking why does God use angels um, instead of just doing things himself. Right. And I feel, um, and this is just my opinion, that uh, man lost his right with that that in that relationship or the way God corresponds with him when he committed sin. Because God used to walk with Adam in the garden, and he spoke mm-hmm. with him directly. And after he sinned, after, you know, the after God's people were out of the garden, then God was always sending prophets and angels. And he hadn't, he never used them before. And I just feel like it was, more than a coincidence that it seemed that that relationship was mm-hmm. severed and he changed the way he dealt with us since then. Uh-huh. And uh, on your, uh, uh, before mm-hmm. I go, the part about the second marriage 
has been it has been a firestorm as far as the conversation with me and people who married for the second or third time. Yeah. And they would always ask me, why do I believe that? I say, I, I, say I believe it because the Bible says it. And I, mm-hmm. I say, I believe also that it is the most avoided scripture in the Bible. I say, I, ne- I say, out of all the years, a lot of my friends are going to Bible study. That passage, even though it's in the New Testament, it always seems to get skipped. You talking about Matthew nineteen nine? Well, uh, well, you know, as far as the second marriage, yeah, yeah, in Matthew. And 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 uh, I told him I said this, I said if it was saying that two men couldn't be together, you could understand that. Uh huh. But this is saying that if you marry a woman that's been put away, you commit an adultery. And I say, how yep. can that be possible? Except the fact that God does not acknowledge your divorce. Hey Sam, I'm gonna mm-hmm. have to let you go. I got to go off the program. Appreciate your call. Hope we can talk more later. If you want a home Bible study, a phone Bible study. Call or text me at 256-682-9753.